A warm welcome back to the Pactum Factum podcast, the superpower of everyday negotiation. I'm Lucia Cantor St. Amour with co-host Nina Greeley. This one is a part two picking up from the previous episode, so let's jump right in. First, let's go through the mail. I'm so tickled that at least one of our listeners took my reading assignment to heart about whether the seek first to understand before seeking to be understood actually originated with Plato. And this listener wrote to us, which I will share with the caveat that this is a secular podcast, quote, it reminded me of a prayer from St. Francis, or what we were told in Catholic school was by St. Francis. O Master, grant that I may never seek so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love with all my soul. Hmm. You know, whether or not that's the actual origin story, I really like the sound of it. I remember that prayer, too, from Catholic school, and I loved it, and I think we even had it set to a melody we used to sing. It's a beautiful prayer, so that's great. Uh, and I can go with that, too. I did not go to Catholic school, so this is the first time I'm seeing or hearing of it, and it, it does resonate with me. So maybe it was St. Francis, maybe it was Plato's Republic, either way. All right, we set the stage in the last episode with the listening model and listening loop. And I'll just recap that for our listeners real quick. The three steps, which are number one, set an intention to pay attention to content and feelings. Step two, manage your noise. Step three, reflect back. That is, summarize the speaker's story, the facts, and the emotion, why the speaker cares. And remember, resetting the intention several times when you notice the noise is absolutely normal. So, Nina, when I taught this module to my law students, I would ask each class for a show of hands how many of them had been told when they were a kid that they'd make a great lawyer someday because they were a good talker or arguer. What do you think? A lot. I would say a lot. <laughs> You're right. Many hands would raise. And then I'd ask, how many of them were told they would make a great lawyer because they were a good listener? Now, in 10 years, how many hands do you think raised in response to that prompt? I would say none. I would say none. Correct. Not <laughs> a single hand in 10 years. So I thought I, There's so. something wrong with that model. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. Nina and I will perform a little demonstration. And this is exactly what we did at, at law school. And Nina is going to talk about something that is real in her life and that I have not heard about. So this is not rehearsed. And I will do my best to demonstrate the listening model. And then we'll do a little debrief of it when we're done. So Nina, you have the floor. What's on your mind? Well, what, what I thought I would talk about is how I got into voice acting. And I know that we had not seen each other for quite some time when we reconnected and I was no longer doing law practice. And I told you I was doing voice acting and you, 
you were surprised and you seemed interested. So I thought, okay, um, you don't know how I did this. I never in my life set out to be a voice actor. What happened was that I was not working as a lawyer anymore. I was teaching part-time at Hastings legal writing. So I was really not doing much law work. And my mother got sick at this time and was it was really the beginning of the end of her life. And I started, I pretty much dropped most work to take care of her. So I wasn't working full time. I was very stressed, but I had more time than I was to having. And I thought, oh, you know, since I've got more time, why don't I get, why don't I work again on my singing? I've always sung, I love singing. I thought I'll take some lessons. It'll be a way to kind of get my mind off things. So I searched on Yelp for voice teachers. And I found, lo and behold, that in Sausalito, where I lived, within three blocks of my house, was a voiceover training school. Now, I didn't know much about voiceover at all. I had been told years and years ago that I had a good voice for voiceover, but I didn't know what that meant. Um, <laughs> but it was a, it was a, you know, I think it was $60, maybe $50 for an intro class. And I thought, okay, let's just go and see what this is like. So I walked down the hill one Saturday morning and went to the intro class. And I just loved it. <laughs> I mean, the, the very first thing you learn is that it's not about your voice. You don't have to have a beautiful voice. It's about your acting. And mm. yeah, this was intriguing to me. This was intriguing to me. And I started taking classes there. And it just ended up being kind of the answer to what I needed at the time. I have always been very intellectual, very bookish, loved to read, you know, did very well in school, big school person. Um, loved school so much that I went to graduate school and then law school. I probably would have just kept on going if I'd been able to. <laughs> but acting was just this totally different kind of experience. It's not that it wasn't involving intelligence because it really does involve a tremendous amount of intelligence, including sure. emotional intelligence. Yeah. Um, but it's not the kind of activity you can excel out just by reading a lot and studying. You Correct. Yeah, you have to do it and you have to take risks. And ah. Exactly. <laughs> and it was just, I don't know if it's the time in my life that I was ready to take risks. I, was, I did not do acting when I was younger. I did not like mm -hmm. playing solo flute solos. I, I didn't like having to be the person on stage that everybody looked at. Maybe voice acting is a little bit better because you don't have to have everyone looking at you. You're in a booth speaking into a microphone. But the whole process, the artistic process of creating a character and inhabiting that character is just an unbelievable rush when it goes well. I mean, I think it's probably like any kind of art. It's like music. It's like painting. It's like anything where you lose yourself. And I don't know. Right. Yeah, I don't know what it is that's so wonderful about losing yourself, but I, I just fell in love with this. And it was exactly what I needed when I was taking care of my mom. So you know, that's the second time you've said that, uh, that you think it was exactly what you needed. And you talk about it's something where you had to take a risk, which makes me wonder whether perhaps law school was the safe path for you as someone who was bookish and did excel in school. And what I'm kind of hearing you say without so much saying it is that maybe you pursued the safe path and 
then when you had to scale back and you had to do that for family, but then you needed something that would be nurturing for yourself. And and by the way, I do remember from law school how musical you were. I remember going to your apartment and seeing sheet music all over the place and your piano. And, and so music was important to you and that you ended up turning to something that was sort of a branch of music in the sense that you were still using your voice, the voice being a a musical instrument in its own right, and that it was that taking of the risk and the uh, artistic expression that you found in it that maybe was even a little freeing for you in addition to nurturing. You know, I I like what you're saying. I actually agree with you, and I hadn't actually thought about it that way, Um, that in a way law school was even though most of my friends were like, what are you doing? It was still school. It was still studying. It was still doing something that I that came easily to me, and I had never really acted before. So that's that may be something. The risk-taking was difficult at first. And, and the way I ended up getting an agent was that I won a contest, and I do not like contests. The school <laughs> had a contest. I do not like it. I don't like the fear factor. I don't like the nervousness. I don't like pitting myself against other people. And um, I decided, and this really, it's the only contest I've won there. And I decided, and the, and the, the whole purpose of this contest was that if you won, you got trial representation by an agent as a voice actor. And oh. I, yeah. And I had been doing it for about two years. And I think at that point, I just thought, you know, let's just see. I have no idea. I didn't expect to win at all. And I thought, hey, I'm learning acting. I can act confident. And so I went. Okay. Yeah. And I just acted like I knew what I was doing. And I just went in there (laughs) and I did it and I won. So you went in and it sounds like there were maybe was a little bit of fear in that, taking that risk and going in to do the contest because you're saying I'm not really the competitive type. I hadn't done this before. I don't like these sorts of things. And then you had this great result. Yeah, I won. Essentially, you won. Essentially, I won. I don't even know if it was fear so much. It was just a kind of a, just a discomfort. You know, I mean, because I did out of your comfort zone. Yes, I didn't expect to win. So I was, I wasn't kind of thinking that I was going to really screw up or anything. I just thought, I just don't like this whole pitting people against you. It was discomfort, really. Mm. So I wouldn't say fear. Uh, because I, I think if it had been real fear, I don't know if I could have acted my way out of it. <laughs> okay, so right. So not you weren't willing to get that far out of your comfort zone. And, and so a little bit fascinating to me that you talk about acting and voice acting being so different from the law when to be a lawyer essentially there there's some acting to that right that you have you're taking on your clients cases and problems and they become your cases and problems and and I don't know if you ever did trials but trial attorneys are actors and you have to be a good actor so I I don't know if these are things you ever considered or if you were more of a transactional attorney but that I I'm not sure I even see them as completely separate I don't know that this was a just a total departure. You know, that's really interesting because I do, I agree with you. I, litigation was difficult for me because I'm not good in situations where I feel I'm, I'm being an aggressor and I did have to act. Um, 
but it's not the fun kind of acting. <laughs> I I, right. I did it and I I actually enjoyed a certain aspect of it, but that's interesting. So I guess I had done some acting in a weird way. I remember taking depositions and stuff and I when I would leave the room, oh my gosh, it was like this wave of I can sort of let everything down because I had was well, putting the, on. The stakes a, are quite high, aren't they? The stakes are high. That's a very good point. The stakes are high, and you've got this persona. But you know, if something goes wrong, your your client really suffers. Where it's true, maybe that's why it's easier to take risks as a voice actor because the worst that happens is you don't get the job. Right. So the worst that happens, you don't get the job. But yeah. in this case, he won the contest, and you got the the agent and and perhaps even I heard you talk about relief that you'd you'd leave a deposition and feel a wave of relief and perhaps that's what you felt in that moment as well is this wave of relief that the, the test was over yes I did feel that although mostly what I felt was shock because <laughs> I really hadn't <laughs> expected um I really hadn't expected to win but it was fun and it has been wonderful fun and I have been you know I don't make mass vast amounts of money at it but I have had the really good luck to get to do my favorite genre of voice acting, which is the museum audio tours. And I've done quite a few of those and it's been really fun. And it's something that I'm very glad I got into. I think it was very good for me in many ways, many ways. I can so hear you on a museum audio tour that seems so you and also especially given your background which I happen to know about uh, being very versed in literature and art which is one of the reasons I asked you to be my co-host and so that's quite a, a journey with I think maybe more connections than perhaps you initially perceived in terms of changing careers, which is a big leap for a lot of people. People think about it and then don't necessarily make that paradigm shift, even though we all have free will and we can do it. It does involve some amount of risk. Is, is there anything else about it that, that comes to mind that it's well, you know, actually, when you were saying that about the audio tours and how well suited I am to them, what was really wonderful is that the first audio tour I ever booked was for something called High Style at the Legion of Honor, and it was all about haute couture. And I know, <gasps> I know, I know, and I know that is close to your heart. I know <laughs> nothing. I know nothing about high fashion. And I, I didn't even really know how to properly, this is embarrassing, pronounce haute couture. I kept pronouncing oh, it dear. wrong. I know. And, 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 um, and since then, I have done a number of other fashion-oriented exhibitions. So I've done the Oscar de la Renta retrospective. I did something about Louis Vuitton. And you know what is fun about it? It is, it is not my area of expertise, but that's one reason being an actor is important. You act as if it is. It also opened up this whole new world to me, which I find totally fascinating now, which is, you know, I've read Andre Leontali's uh, biographies. I, I find fashion much more interesting now because I was really forced to kind of learn about it in this wonderful on the fly way where I was handed a script and I had to just do it. And I, so ha I have a great it opened up educational yes, learning and creativity I have, opportunities for I you. have a great deal of respect now actually for like Louis Vuitton. What a life story he had. It was amazing what he did. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and by the way, congratulations on pronouncing Louis Vuitton correctly. I Many people to. do not. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. And and yes, especially funny that you would mention fashion. And this is where we could go on and on. Uh, fashion does happen to be a, a topic that is so replete with history and sociology and politics and freedom of expression. And it's it's a very fertile ground for learning. I, I wonder if you found that yourself. It sounds like it. I did, and I think maybe we should be talking about it at, at some later date. <laughs> well, maybe we'll do a podcast on some sort of historical negotiation that happened in fashion history, and I can already think of a couple off the top of my head. So I think I'm going to end the demo right there, just in the interest of time, and start our debrief. And I'll start it by asking Nina, what was that like for you? Actually, I found that very, very pleasurable. I mean, of course, it's always fun to talk about oneself, but also some of the comments you made, especially about the, the similarities between law and taking risks and everything in, in different areas, really insightful. And you kind of raised things that I had not thought about. And I, I appreciate that. I think that. that you get that when you're listening to not just the content, but the why it's important. Yes. Beneath the content. And that's why I stress it so much in, when I teach this module that, well, why is she talking about this? Right? It's not just the words. It's not just the topic. But what's going on underneath? And things that you may not have considered. Yes. And I hadn't considered them. And I, I appreciate that because I did feel as if, well, I did feel as if I was really being listened to. And there is something. You're absolutely right. There's something really gratifying about that. Uh, I have to ask you that what were you uh, feeling when I got something wrong? I reflected back. I think I said something like fear or you were scared, something about the competition. And you said, well, it wasn't really fear. What were you feeling in that moment when I got something wrong? Well, it actually didn't bother me at all. I just felt the light bulb just went off my, in my head. I just felt like you were really listening to me and that you cared and so that even if you were not exactly accurate, you were trying to be accurate and you were, you were listening to my answer and revising your understanding of what was going on based on what I was saying. And I very much appreciated that. Very yeah. much. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, can, I ask, yes. can I ask you? Um, sure, please. I don't know what you're about to ask me, but well, go for you know, it. we were talking before about um, how we were talking before about in the in the earlier podcast last week about the noises that come up, right? And I'm just wondering about your own sort of experience of doing this. Did you have any of those the any on the list come up? Oh my gosh. I, well, it's the debrief, so I, I really should talk about what noise came up and how I managed it. And yes, of course, noise came up. All kinds of noise came up. I was I had so many questions I wanted to ask, for one thing, so that was a little bit of noise, and I, I didn't. I refrained. I, even in the very beginning when you said that you had uh, been teaching legal writing or research, and I, I was like, oh, how boring. I had this little <laughs> moment of noise like... Wow, that sounds tedious. And I had to reset my intention, like just, oh, hold on, just let's listen to Nina. Don't worry about that. And 
then I was also watching the time and thinking, how long is this podcast running? And are we going to fit everything in without seeming like we are rushing? And then I recognized that that was noise and I had to reset my intention. So those are a few examples of me having to go through the listening loop. I had to reset my intention several times. And I, I do want to emphasize how that's normal as is when you reflect back and you get it wrong, it's fine. For one thing, you're already showing the speaker that you are listening. Also, it helps them be more clear in communicating. And it's an opportunity for them to clarify, as you did, Nina. So remember, two of the key functions of the third step, reflecting back, are clarification and or verification. And either response from the talker is awesome. Now, here's a key point. I don't know if you noticed this, Nina, but what I wasn't doing, with one exception, I wasn't asking questions. But when it seemed like you were sort of done, or when you got to certain pauses, I asked what I call the magic question. And it's this, is there anything else? Because so often, it reveals some rich little nugget that may have otherwise remained incognito. Now, there's another magic question when it comes to negotiating in general, but I'm saving that one for our two episodes on questioning. So what did you think of the magic question? I thought it was wonderful. I, I, you're absolutely right. It allowed me to come up with, I even feel for myself a better understanding of what I was trying to explain or why I, what I was trying to encapsulate about why I so enjoyed what I do. And so that well, was wonderful. And it also does signal that you, you really care. Right. Yeah. I, 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 you can think of the goal like this. It's to listen to that other person like they have never been listened to before. And you concede nothing by doing this. Understanding somebody does not mean you agree with them. That's what makes it so powerful. Here's something Harvard Program on Negotiation faculty member Dan Shapiro said about listening. Quote, on a recent conference call, I thought I hadn't contributed much to the conversation, but this calling service sends you data on how much time each person talks. And I discovered I'd actually spoken about a third more than anyone else. In negotiations, we often think we're not talking as much as the other side when in fact, we're talking much more. So I would say, be humble in your listening. Listen a lot. That's Daniel Shapiro. So you know what I do, Nina? What, what do you do? I, I pretend I'm being told a story. What's going to happen in this story? I want to know, how will it unfold? My mother-in-law, who, by the way, I adore, has this way of retelling a fairly mundane experience in this unnecessarily long-winded way that takes upwards of 14, 15 minutes to say, essentially, I went to lunch and the manager came to our table to check on us and then we got comp to dessert. 
<laughs> but it was such a magical and impressionable occurrence to her that she draws it out. And you can tell she's really savoring it, reliving it. And I'm watching the joy and fascination in her face and hearing it in her voice. And that's what it's all about. It's about the person behind the words. And I absolutely love that my mother-in-law lights up by things like that. So look, it might feel and come across awkwardly at first. You might start off using this model with close friends and family. You can be transparent. Hey, I subscribe to this amazing podcast and the host, can't remember her name, something with multiple parts and syllables, taught this method of listening and I'm trying it out. If you keep it up, you'll get so good at it, people won't notice that you are employing some technique. It will become natural. But like with learning anything else, you have to be willing to do it clumsily at first. I'll let you in on a secret. Making mistakes is a much more impactful way of learning than doing something right the first time you try. So give it a try and let us know how it goes. We love hearing from you. Thanks for listening, or even partially listening while you multitask. You never know what might stick with you. Keep your ear out for this space because we sure do appreciate your company. I'm Lucia Cantor St. Amour of Pactum Factum, which is Latin for a done deal. You can find me here on Substack and on pactumfactum.com.